Good morning, Renaissance. Good to be home. Good to be home. Can I pray for us this morning? My name is Aswan. I'm one of the pastors here. Let me pray for us. God, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen to this quote. The one thing we all have in common is that we will encounter adversity. But we have to decide how we respond to it. My arm and my hand are paralyzed, but my heart isn't. My mind isn't. My dedication isn't. My work isn't. Nor is my commitment. Those are the words of Inky Johnson. Inky Johnson is a motivational speaker, one of the top motivational speakers in the country. But this man's life has some interest to me. I find his story very interesting. Inky grew up in a two-bedroom household uh, with 14 people. Um, yeah, my, my young people would say, no cat. Uh, his mom had him at 15, and by the age of seven, Inky knew and, and was working hard and preparing his heart, his mind, his body to make it to the NFL. He goes to high school, bounces around in high school for a little bit, gets a Division I scholarship to the University of Tennessee. By his junior year, um, Inky had been ranked as probably a top 30 uh, prospect in the NFL draft. Uh, in one of his interviews, he says that he remembers the day his coach came to him in his junior year and said, yo, Inky, if you finish out these last 10 games, man, you are going to be a millionaire. Well, Inky's life changed on September 9th, 2006. Uh, on a very routine tackle as a cornerback, um, he tore uh, the, the, the nerves in his right shoulder, and he had permanently lost the use of his right arm and his right hand. And Inky, being a Christian, turned to God in the midst of that adversity. He has a powerful, another powerful statement. He says this, the ability to learn is a gift even when pain is your teacher. And that's when I'm like, hold up, Inky. No, sir. I hear you. Like, his story is cool up to that point. But he says, the ability to learn is a gift even when pain is your teacher. And I realized I don't want pain as my teacher. If I was sitting in a classroom and pain walked in, I'm walking out. And if I can't walk out, to be honest, I'm going to sit there and treat it like a public school sub, and I'm going to ignore it. <laughs> it happens. I was a public school kid, so. I don't want pain to be my teacher. And let me make sure y'all don't think that I have it all together. Even though I've been in ministry full time, when I think about the adversity that I've been through this last year, this last month, this very week, turning to God is a lot more complicated than I'd like to admit. See, I'm often paralyzed by fear, by hurt, by frustration and confusion. See, by nature, I'm a problem solver 
and I want to fix things. And when things get overwhelming and I can't fix them, then I just shut down and ignore them. And, and to some degree, I do believe God has wired me that way. But yet the author of this psalm that we're going to talk about today tells us something that when I think about the fullness of what this author is trying to say in the Psalms, it stops me in my track. Listen to Psalm 34, verses 8 through 9. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. See, recently I have rediscovered the power of the Psalms. Honestly, when I first became a Christian in my 20s, the Psalms were just like some cool sayings that I really had no relevance in my life. I remember a, a, a pastor saying that the Psalms, the psalmists are the artists of the Bible. And I'm like, cool, that, that really did nothing for me in my walk at the time. But recently, very recently, I have discovered the beauty of these poets and songwriters the psalmist, like Inky, turned to God in times of adversity. And that's a skill that I want. That's a habit that I crave, not just for myself, but for you here at Renaissance. See, the psalms often describe situations that I can identify with, yet they show me how, even amidst those situations, how I can respond to them by turning to God. Psalm 34 shows you and I how to praise God at all times, how to turn to him for refuge and safety, no matter what the situation is you are going through. But this psalm, Psalm 34, is not only a psalm designed to get you to turn to God. It's also designed to teach you how to tell others, invite others to turn to God. And that's what you and I can't miss. Yes, we turn to God, but we, the Christian faith, we live life in community. So as I grow in my ability to turn to God and praise him at all times, I also get better at inviting others to turn to him and praise him at all times. See, the Christian word for what's happening in Psalm 34 is a word called testimonies, and maybe we all have heard it. But see, the, the testimonies of the people of God are powerful. They are meant to move us. They are meant to inspire us. They are meant to caution us and guide us. See, testimonies often put words to our feelings. See, the testimonies of the people of God become a lifeline that the church throws out to people as they are drowning in life's chaos. See, I heard a professor say it this way, testimonies put flesh to the truth that is preached. So here's my question, Renaissance. When's the last time you shared your testimony? When's the last time you actively turned to God in the midst of a situation and he has showed up for you and you then went to tell someone else, that the Lord was good to you. Now, if you are not a Christian or you are here for the first time and you, you're not sure where you stand with God, I want to give you permission 
This message, I hope, gives you freedom. (laughs) Go ask all the Christians you know what has God done for them lately. Sorry, you guys are going to have to answer that. But for those of us who have said yes to following Jesus, we have put the weight of our life on following Jesus. To you, the question remains, when is the last time you've invited somebody to taste and see that the Lord is good? See, I'm afraid that if we fail to share and listen to the testimony of God's people, we will miss out on the strength and the power needed to live out our Christian walk. And not just that, we will become numb to inviting others to turn to God if we don't see that God is good ourselves. All my young people would say, that's a fact. Now, before we keep going, I want to give us a little background on the Psalms. Uh, The book of Psalms is the Bible's largest collection of Hebrew poetry. And there are 150 Psalms, but these aren't just some random uh, poetry. This is not some random poetry that you just flip through, you find your favorite one, and you just read it. No, the history would tell us that these psalms were curated like a playlist. And what they are designed to do is poetically tell the entire biblical story. Some of the psalms are songs written for choirs to sing. Some of the psalms are prayers for people to go, the people of God to pray at home. But the psalms themselves collectively are designed to tell the biblical story. Now, the Psalms are also broken into five sections, and it is believed that the curation of these five sections is designed to mirror the first five books of the Bible. And when we read the Psalms, one of the things you have to know if you're not familiar with the context of the Psalms, there's a guy named David who is a really important figure in the Psalms. David writes 73 out of, at least it's, it's known, it's believed now that he wrote 73 out of 150 of these psalms. And what's important about that is David shares so much of his life in these psalms. He shares his fears. He shares his hopes. He shares um, what God has done. He shares when he feels like God hasn't done enough. He shares uh, the battle against his enemy. David opens up his heart and shares it with us. David gives us a piece of his testimony in all 73 psalms that he is responsible for. Some of psalms, some of, there's all types of psalms. Some of them are psalms of thanksgiving. Some of them are praise. Some of them are lament. Some of them are confidence and remembrance. And we don't have the time to get into all of them, but what I want you to remember is that the psalms, even, all of them having their distinct, unique design and purpose, but they tell poetically the entire biblical story. Now, I want to give you two purposes of the Psalms that will help us and navigate us looking through Psalm 34 this morning. Here's the first purpose, and the Bible Project has a quote. They say this, the Psalms are a prayer book for exiles designed as a virtual temple. (laughs) Okay, Mr. Preacher Man, what does that mean? Cool. Well, back in the day, 
the people of God would have a geographical place. They would have a temple where they would go to meet with God. They knew that the presence of God was in the temple. So that's where they went to meet God. And when uh, their native land, the people of God, when their native land was destroyed and they were kicked out uh, of their land and the temple was just destroyed, they became exiles. Exiles are just people who have gotten barred from their native country, their native place. And the Psalms became the place where they learned and remembered how to pray so that they could connect with God. The Psalms were the things that they borrowed because they couldn't go to the temple anymore. So the poets, the songwriters, as they wrote these Psalms, they became the things that the people of God held on to and read and prayed because they didn't have a geographical place to go. The Psalms are super important, so much so that Jesus, when Jesus was on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is quoting the beginning of Psalm 22. And the dope part about that is the everyone who would have been listening would have known, the Psalms would have been so ingrained in the culture that they would have known, they would have picked up on him starting the first line of that, and in their mind, they could have finished it. It would have been like me saying, R-E-S-P. No doubt, don't let me down. Don't let me down. Jesus on the cross was beginning the psalm, and the rest of the people would have been able to fill it in. The psalms are absolutely important. The second purpose of the psalms was to invite us not just to learn the lifelong practice of prayer, but to invite us to experience God. And so in the temple, there would have been music playing. There would have been images all over the temple. And when you walked into the temple, you were walking into the presence of God. And so what the Psalms do is they become now the virtual way that the people of God get to, when you go, when you read the Psalms, you're not just reading them, you're walking into the Psalms. And as you walk into the Psalms, you are now being invited to experience God. See, it's not just praying words to God, it's praying and experiencing God. The Psalms have an impeccable purpose in the people of God's history. I had a friend who, uh, he, for a long time, he said, yo, Aswan, I feel like um, I'm just a soldier and God is my commanding officer. Like, I just do for God, I just do for God. And I said, bro, I think you're missing it. I think you need to read the Psalms again because God doesn't want you to just do for him. He wants you to experience him so that as you are doing for him, you can tell people to taste and see that the Lord is good. So I've been really hyped to rediscover the Psalms. But again, if I were to be honest, and I hope my vulnerability helps someone here this morning, I still feel like there's a challenge. There's me in my current situation, and then there's this notion that I should turn to God, and I still feel like there's a little bit of a chasm there because I I, I really want to do that, but how could I turn to God when my current situation is so paralyzing? How can I... How can I go to God in, a, in, for, for in the situation that I'm in when I'm really, really stuck in my current situation? Well, I think there's some reasons why I still struggle. Here's one. I don't really know how to turn to God. 
See, I was never really taught that. I didn't grow up in a Christian household. You know, my, my, my dad started uh, going to church a little bit, like when I was in middle school. And, but, but church was social for me. Church was the place where I played ball and hung out with some friends and got to say, oh, I like how you pray, girl. You know what I mean? <laughs> church was social, if I could be honest. And the Christians that I knew, every time they talked about hard stuff, they, packed it, they packaged it in something neat. Oh, I'm just, it's just a little hard time. I'm too blessed to be stressed. But God, God is so good. But their lives were falling apart. And so I didn't see a model. It was never modeled for me how in the midst of the situation to still turn to God, but still be real about my current situation. I don't, I don't know what that looks like. I wasn't taught that. And maybe you can identify. The second struggle, struggle I have that I believe is, um, I don't believe, there are times that I don't believe God is really going to get me through the tough time. If I was to be honest, there's a part of me that just doesn't quite trust that God is going to handle it. At least not handle it in the time frame that I want him to. I'm positive that he probably won't do that. If there's a part of me that ascends to him, mentally ascends to him, being able to take care of it, there's a deeper part of me that's like, but you're not going to do it right now, and I can't wait for you. This situation is tough, and I need to get out of this pain. I don't like sitting and feeling pain. I want to get rid of it at all costs. And so there are times, if I was to be honest in my struggle, that I don't believe God is really going to get me through the tough times. And this one, the third one for me, and maybe there are many other struggles, but as I think about this one, if I were to be honest, there are times I don't believe the situation is going to change. And if the situation is not going to change, why turn to God? What's going to be the value of turning to God if the situation doesn't change? And I hope and pray as I'm being vulnerable about these struggles that you can be vulnerable about yours. What use is it to praise God through adversity when the adversity won't change? Now, I have found that God has been super gracious to me in my struggles. And I'm learning that I need to be more gracious with myself. And maybe some of you here today, maybe the word for you is to be just a little kinder to yourself. Yes, maybe you struggle with turning to God, but walking with God is not performance. It's not about doing it right. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is asking you to be a good son or a good daughter. He's saying, just be a son. Just be a daughter. I'll add the good. And so if you resonate with some of these struggles, maybe God is asking you to be a little more gracious with yourself. But I do believe God wants to speak to us this morning from uh, Psalm 34. See, instead of running from God or ignoring pain as our teacher or giving into these struggles that we just talked about, let's take David up on his invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. Can we do that? Psalm 34, starting at verse 1. 
Listen to this. I hope this sweeps over you. Maybe you would close your eyes if you're here or online. Listen to David's testimony. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The Lord, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you, his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. See, it is believed that King David wrote this psalm praising God because God had just delivered him from a life-threatening situation. So David, before he became king, he was being literally hunted, headhunted by the previous king. The king wanted him dead so bad that he, he had enemies all around trying to find David wherever he would run. David finds himself in some enemy territory And the Bible tells us that for a little while, he was able to hide amongst the people. But over time, the the king began to recognize his identity. And so they said, oh, if this is David, then we have to kill him. And so David gets wind that they're starting to recognize him. So what he does is, the Bible tells us, David fakes like he's crazy. He starts acting OD crazy. He starts slobbering from his mouth every time he talks. He lets his hair grow. And David is acting so crazy that when the king sees him, he says, why would y'all keep a man like this around? Get him out of my kingdom. I already have so much to do. Let's let this dude go. And it's at that point when David leaves, he escapes and he goes to a cave And the Bible teaches that in this cave is where David starts starts the psalm and he says, I will extol the Lord. Where he says, his praise will always be on my lips. Where he says, I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. See, David doesn't run away from God. David runs toward him. Now, as I read this and say this, I have to mention this caveat because I believe it's true for us here this morning. Some of you may be sitting here saying, yo, you know what, Aswan, this is my challenge with Christianity. Christians want to be so overly optimistic. You want to be... uh, Uh, You want to just act like I should just disconnect myself from reality and just turn around and praise God. Well, it's not that simple. I can't just disconnect from reality. My current situation does not give me or afford me the right or the privilege or the time to go praise God amidst this. I'm stuck. I'm broken. I'm hurt. 
I'm confused. I'm not even sure where God is in this process. And you're telling me just because David is uh, uh, writing his testimony and, and, and sharing with us his psalm that I'm supposed to just turn to him. See, that's my challenge with Christians. You always want to be disconnected from reality. And I hear you. And I've been there. This might be hard for you to hear right now, but this scripture isn't about disconnecting you from reality. It's about connecting you to this ancient practice, the ancient practice of having the discipline and the fortitude to turn to God even in your current reality and situation. See, this psalm is about connecting you to the ancient practice which has anchored people, the people of God for thousands of years. Many of these people were, in fact, going through the same things you and I are going through, and yet this, this notion of turning to God and praising him at all times is what has gotten them through to the other side. One of the biggest challenges to our walk with Jesus is an over-reliance on our feelings. One of my biggest challenges in my walk with God is my over-reliance on feelings. Peter Scazzaro has a quote. He says this, when we hit a dark time, our good feelings of God's presence evaporate. We feel the door of heaven has been shut as we pray. Darkness, helplessness, weariness, a sense of failure or defeat, barrenness, emptiness, dryness descend upon us. The Christian disciplines that, ha- that have served us up to this time no longer work. We can't see what God is doing and see little visible fruit in our current lives. This is God's way of rewiring and purging our affections and passions. He does this so we might delight in his love and enter into a richer, more fuller communion with him. God wants to communicate to us his true sweetness and love. He longs that we might know his true peace and rest. To get there, however... False layers and our unhealthy attachments inside us must be burned away. Only then will we be able to actually taste and see that the Lord is good. Only then will we actually surrender to his will and not our own. And here is the type of faith that I think God wants to emerge in us by using Psalm 34 so that we would trust God, even when we don't feel him. There are three things I want us to get from Psalm 34 this morning. Here's the first. God is attentive to his people. Listen to what David writes. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called And the Lord heard him. Man, I want you to hear that the Lord hears you. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. See, David is not just saying this to brag about something that he's done. No, David wants you and I to know that God is close 
to the brokenhearted. He wants you and I to confidently enter adverse situations, enter the trials and tribulations of our life, and not just stay there, but trust and know that God is attentive to his people. Uh, I was thinking about this. My son, Axel, who's seven, um, Axel's the crier in the family. Like when he plays with his uh, uh, siblings and he's not winning or something or they play fighting and he's not winning, he's going to start crying. That's his thing, right? When he came out of the womb, this dude was crying. Like, and I know that's maybe par for the course, but he was crying excessively loud. Like it was like, bro, calm down. You just got here. Oh, like the, he like yells, yells. But one of the things Axel does, he has a little skill. When he's crying and rolling over the, on the floor really loud, Axel kind of keeps his one eye open. And Axel wants to make sure that daddy's watching. And if daddy's watching, then the cries, uh, they dissipate. They, they lessen a little bit. But if daddy is not watching, Axel's going to keep crying. He's going to keep yelling until he gets some attention. Here's what I love about what David is doing in the Psalms for us. David is saying that you and I have freedom to be Axel. You and I have freedom to cry and yell. Oh, why? Because daddy is paying attention. Because daddy sees you. Daddy knows that if, uh, he knows if you're really hurt. He knows what kind of cry it is. I, he knows uh, uh, what frustrations you're going through because, because daddy sees you. See, David is telling us God is attentive to his people. And I don't want you to think about this testimony as some ancient thing that can't relate to your life right now. No, right now as you cry and the pain and the frustration grows from your toes all the way up to your neck and you feel like there's no more. I want you to know daddy sees you, Axel. Daddy knows, and he's paying attention. And maybe we're not sure exactly why God doesn't intervene at the right moment where we want or in the moment that we want, but we know by the Psalms, we know that he sees you and he's paying attention. And we know that there's a plan for your life. There's a purpose for every pain and tear that you cried. There's a purpose for it. He knows it and he sees you. God is attentive to his people. The second point I think we, I want us to get is that as David is writing this testimony, I want you to know that testimonies give hope to others and sow seeds of faith. See, I believe David's number one goal is to turn us towards God. Not only is God attentive, but God is good. He doesn't just see us, but he knows that on the other side of adversity is intimacy with him. On the other side of adversity is deeper trust in him. On the other side of adversity uh, is a deeper connection with the character and the nature of God so that in future adversity, you don't have to worry if he's paying attention. Listen to what David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. See, David is sowing seeds of faith in our souls. He is giving hope that even in the midst of trouble, God is good. He has not abandoned you, and the outcome will be good. Not always easy, not always comfortable, but good. Now, 
I didn't grow up in your typical black church um, context. You know, Jordan always talks about Shiloh Baptist. Shout out to Shiloh Baptist. I didn't go to a Shiloh Baptist. I went to Shiloh Baptist. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up in a, your standard, typical black church experience. But as history would tell us, the black church often gave space for people to testify. Now, all those, these services could go long. The beauty of it... Right? If you know, you know. The beauty of it was that the congregation would hear how God was moving in the life of someone who lived right next to them. Listen to how a professor talks about the power of the testimonies of the people of God. He says, you can look back and ask, how did Sister Smith trust God in her grief? How did Deacon Lewis stay faithful to God in that season of praying and waiting on God? How did God meet them there? What begins to emerge is a shred of faith where you begin to say in your soul, maybe God can and will meet me in the same way that he has met them. See, sharing testimonies are designed to sow seeds of hope and faith in your life. He says the benefit of these shared stories is that you can begin to pick up themes, examples, and patterns of how God moves on behalf of his people. This is why David says, come, taste, and see that the Lord is good. He's not saying, oh, yo, come, taste, and see. He's saying, no, no, put everything down. Put the si- I know the situation you're in right now, but come, come, taste, and see. I'm telling you, he's good. I want you to, I don't want you to just pray to him. I want you to experience him. Come, taste. I promise you, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. I hope that David's words from thousands of years ago are pulling you like the aroma of something that smells really good. It's pulling you through the, through the word, through uh, the text and it's meeting you right here and it's telling you, come, taste and see. God is good. And how would David be able to do that? Well, he rested the entirety, the whole weight of his life. He put it on God. That's why he can say, come and taste. I've already tasted. I know it's good. Last thing I want you to get. Sharing your testimony and remembering and listening to the testimony of God's people helps you overcome the enemy. Now, this last point is simple. The more and more we testify about how good God is and how he is our refuge, the enemy's attempt to distract us and throw us off weakens. With a constant lifestyle of turning to God and praising him at all times, there is no room for the enemy to deceive us. There's no room for the enemy to continue to sow lies in your soul because the people of God and the testimonies and the Psalms are undoing those lies and they're sowing seeds of faith and they're sowing seeds of hope. So the more you practice turning to God, the less the lies of the enemy can become a part of your everyday fabric. You then begin not to doubt whether God is good or whether God is show up, but you begin, you begin to walk in the midst of that reality and you are in your situation, but you know that God is attentive and that if I hear the testimony of God's people, maybe 
If God did it for David, he could do it for me. There's a scripture in Revelation 11. It says, we are saved by the blood of the lamb and the words of our testimony. See, Renaissance, this is why we praise God at all times. Because God is attentive to his people. Our testimony then becomes seeds of faith and hope for our neighbors. And ultimately, our testimonies become weapons to fight back against the enemy. Now, I want our worship team to come up and we're going to close this morning or this afternoon. But I think this all gets summed up in one of my favorite accounts, my favorite gospel accounts. So uh, Jesus does this feeding. He turns uh, some snacks into Thanksgiving dinner. He tells the disciples, go get in a boat. The disciples get in the boat. They head out. On the water late at night, the Bible tells us that Jesus comes walking by. I don't know why. But the disciples say, yo, it's a ghost. They don't recognize him. And man, I just want to say this. There are times that the people of God don't recognize Jesus when he shows up. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. It's me, the savior of your soul. Peter, one of the disciples, says, yo, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come. And and I'll come. I'll, I'll, I'll step out and I'll meet you. Jesus says, come. All Peter had was God's word. There's sometimes in the midst of your situation, all you have is God's word. Peter gets out. The weight of his life is standing on God's word. He's walking towards Jesus. The Bible tells us then he starts to sink. The winds and the waves happen. He starts to sink. And as he's sinking, he cries out in the midst of his situation. He's not disconnected from reality. He says, Lord, save me. Jesus, the Bible, Mark, in Mark's account, Mark says, Jesus reached out his hand. Immediately, he catches him, picks him up, and they together on the water walk back to the boat. (laughs) Why do I tell you this? Well, the end of this account, it says that everyone in the boat, because remember, he told all the disciples to get in the boat. Peter's the only one who got out. Everyone in the boat is watching this. And the Bible tells us when Peter and Jesus get back to the boat, Everyone in the boat says, oh, he is the Lord God. We shall worship him. The son of man, we shall worship him. And I'm telling you right now, church, that some of us, we need to be more Peter. Not that we need to have courage and just step out on God's word, because maybe many of us are doing that. But we need to be honest. When we're in adverse situations and we are sinking, we need to cry out, Lord, save me. And we need to trust that when the Lord comes and immediately picks us up and he walks us back to the boat, that's what the people in the boat needed to see. They needed to see somebody courageous enough, bold enough to step out on God's truth. And even in the midst of the adverse situation, call out to his character and his nature and watch him grab them and pull them back to the boat. That's what they need to taste and see that the Lord is good. My encouragement is that the testimonies of God's people remind us of how good he is and that he will never leave us nor forsake us and that he is worthy of being praised at all times. Now, this week, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray Psalm 38. I want you to read it slow and I want you to let it sweep over you. 
many theologians and historians that study the Bible say the Bible wasn't meant to be read. You just pull out a few scriptures. It's meant to be a waterfall. I want you to read all of Psalm 38 and let it wash over you. And then lastly, I want you to pick or find someone that you're going to share your testimony with. And I don't want the neat edited version, the one that you've practiced as a Christian who comes to church to save your face. Yeah, I said it. I want the part where you screamed out and you said, Lord, save me, and he came and he caught you. That's what I want you to do this week. See, because the gospel says, the truth is there is nothing wasted. Where you are, wherever you are in your journey, Jesus wastes nothing. All of his life, everything that he done with, has done, and when he went to the cross and died on our behalf and took our shame and took our sin, he wasted absolutely nothing. Therefore, there is nothing that God is wasting in your life. I think he wants you to be the modern-day psalmist so that people can taste and see that the Lord is good because you have first tasted that he is good. Let me pray. Daddy, thank you for speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen.